Welcome to Ask Peggy About Your Finances, because prosperity is so much more than money. Brought to you by writer, speaker, and certified financial planner, Peggy Doviak. Hello, and welcome to the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak, and I am a certified financial planner practitioner. And this week's show is the best of the Ask Peggy questions. So you're going to listen to questions that people have asked me. I provide answers. Remember, they're educational, so you need to ask your certified financial planner practitioner if they would work for you. And you can submit questions to my Facebook page, Ask Peggy. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Ask Peggy segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And as I was reviewing the transcripts of some of my old shows, I discovered that fairly recently I gave you information that has dramatically changed due to the passage of the SECURE Act. If you listened to the show last year, you know that we thought the SECURE Act was not actually going to go into effect, but it got tacked onto the final budget bill, so now it's the law. The change I want you to be aware of is how required minimum distributions are calculated for beneficiaries of IRAs. So you have an inherited IRA and you used to be allowed to stretch those required minimum distributions over your life. So you may have heard of something called a stretch IRA. That's an IRA that was inherited and it allows you to stretch out the taxation. It was a really good deal. Well, the SECURE Act changed many things, but what I want to tell you today is you can no longer stretch the required minimum distributions over your lifetime if you inherited an IRA. Instead, it has to be distributed within 10 years. Now, there's a few exceptions to this. If you are a spouse or disabled, chronically ill, within 10 years of the age of the deceased, or certain minor children. All of those have carve-outs, but you need to talk to your estate attorney, you need to talk to your CPA, and you need to talk to your certified financial planner practitioner because this change changes estate planning dramatically, and you need to decide how you're going to handle the taxation so you don't get hit with a big tax bill. You can take the distribution anytime within the 10-year period, but by the end of 10 years, all of the money must be out of the account. I think it's really important to review this, be aware of it. Everything you thought you knew about this has changed, and you need to talk to professionals to make the adjustments. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Ask Peggy segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. Remember, if you'd like to submit a question to the show, you need to go to askpeggy.com. That's A-S-K-P-E-G-G-Y.com. And you'll find a link at the bottom of the page where you can submit your question. If you're interested in reading my blogs or looking at my book or any of the other things on how I work with financial literacy and teaching people about money, it's a fun site to just do some exploring in, and I look forward to seeing you there. 
You'll also find links on that page that will let you follow me on social media. So our last question of the day is, Peggy, I'm always worried when my friends tell me that they are spending more in retirement than they anticipated. How can I stay on track? And I think that this is probably the scariest and extremely common situation that I find new retirees in. So what happens is people retire and they think they know how much they're going to spend every month and then suddenly they're spending way more than that. And so they're going through their savings at a much faster rate than they expected. And it's not because it was an unexpected catastrophic happening. It's because they just spent more than they thought they would. So the best way to keep this from happening to you is to do some really accurate cash flow planning. People laugh at me a little bit because I think that so much of a successful financial plan does not involve the really technical details or getting 0.05% return more in one mutual fund than another. I think the one thing you do that makes your financial plan the most successful is absolutely know how much money you spend. Not how much money you wish you spent, but how much money you actually spend. Because when you know that, you know how much emergency fund you need to have saved, you know how much insurance you need to buy, and you know how much to save for retirement. So if you are a few years out from retirement, I want you to do a cash flow analysis where you literally write down everything you spend over the course of a month. And if that doesn't seem realistic, if you can't believe you really spend that much, then do it a second month, then maybe a third, until you know what you spend each month, really, truly spend. Then calculate in for presents, you know, holiday spending, birthdays, traveling. What do you do that are the one-off expenses that might not be included in what you calculated? Then what is retirement going to look like? Are you going to do a home remodel? I've had several people who suddenly decided, wow, we want to fix up our house so it's handicap accessible. And that's great as long as you've budgeted for that. So you need to think very seriously about what your retirement plans are. And that will give you the opportunity to save enough. Now, if you're already in retirement, this doesn't do you any good at all. So what you need to do is look at why you were spending too much. Were you going over your budget? Were these individual expenses like a home remodel and now you're not going to do that anymore and now you're still on track with your monthly spending? If that's the case, then recalculate the numbers. Maybe you could cut your monthly spending a little each time, make up for that expense and make it work. If the numbers don't work, consider while you're still young enough to do it to work part-time for a while. It is the easiest way to solve financial overspending in retirement is just get a job part of the time, bring a little bit more money in. The worst mistake you can make is knowing you're spending too much and ignoring it because you're afraid of it. 
that will lead to financial disaster. And 15 years of that might create a hole you can't dig yourself out of. So be really careful to be honest and look at it. Work with your financial planner. Create a solution that will stop you from getting into any more trouble. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Ask Peggy segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. Today's question is a really great question because it brings up an issue that a lot of people have never given a lot of thought to. The question is, Peggy, I recently heard that my target retirement date has a glide path and that I should pay attention to it. The problem is I don't know what it is. So remember that target retirement date funds are designed to become more conservative as you get older. So if you're very young in a target retirement date fund, your asset allocation is going to be pretty aggressive. As you get closer to age 65, the asset allocation becomes more conservative. And actually, a lot of target date funds continue to become even more conservative for another 10 or so years until finally they settle into a last asset allocation that doesn't change. So you're coming into a landing in your retirement, and the glide path is how steep of a trajectory you take. And we're coming in for a landing because that is where the term glide path comes from. When planes land, they come down on a glide path. When a target retirement date fund becomes less aggressive, that's called its glide path. The trick is that different target retirement date funds have different glide paths. Some of them come in fairly steeply. Some of them come in very gradually. Some of them may have no dissimilarity at all from funds of different dates, so that maybe the 2040 fund and the 2045 fund have exactly the same asset allocation. And then as that fund ages down, you'll begin to see it become more conservative. Eventually, there's a shift, but there isn't always. Why does this matter to you? It matters because if you're in a target date fund, you need to know the asset allocation and make sure that you like it, that it helps you meet your financial goals. You also should look to see how it becomes more conservative. Does its glide path help you meet your retirement goals as well? People don't pay attention to it, but it's very important and it's available in the prospectus and also probably from your financial advisor. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Ask Peggy segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And today's question is something that I am commonly asked by people. They'll say, Peggy, I've had some advisors tell me that my portfolio should be really conservative since I'm in my 60s. Or they'll say, wow, now that I've retired, I think I should be all in bonds. Or now that I'm not earning any more money, I don't want to take any risk in my portfolio, which is always followed up with, don't you think I'm right? 
And the answer is, it depends. And let me tell you some of the pitfalls of this thinking, along with some of the times it might be very successful. First, let me start by saying I absolutely understand the concern. It really panics people many times when they've stopped working and they don't have any more revenue coming in. And so the idea is I want to bring everything into where I can control it and I don't want to risk the market and I'm really, really nervous. The problem happens with the growth assumptions you've made while you were still working and doing your retirement planning. So if you've assumed a 6% growth rate, well, if you haven't made an inflation adjustment, that's actually a fairly aggressive portfolio because if you added the inflation rate back to 6, that becomes 9. That's a really high market assumption. So if it was 6, but it was before inflation, and now you're assuming a 3% growth rate, then, you know, that's not as risky, but it's still assuming that your gross rate of return is 6%. In today's current interest rate environment, achieving a 6% rate of return on a traditional fixed income portfolio is incredibly hard to achieve because the bonds aren't paying that much. Now, there are fixed investments that have higher yields. You need to be very careful with these, and you need to be sure that you understand them before you purchase them. Remember, I always tell you to understand what you own before you buy it. But if you have a fixed income item and it's paying 8 or 9%, there's some risk inherent in that. Why is that so? Because we get return for taking risk. And if a bond portfolio, a government bond mutual fund, say, is paying between 2 and 3%, and you have an investment that's paying 9%, it isn't because the investment's so fabulous. It's because the investment is risky. People misunderstand that all the time. So if you are getting 9% from a fixed income portfolio, you need to look at it very carefully and make sure you understand what you own and that you're not so invested in a sector or a specific kind of investment that you could be taking on risks you're not even aware of. So getting totally out of the stock market is difficult. If you are still working and you know you don't want to be in the stock market after you retire, now is the time you can do something about it. And you can assume an incredibly low growth rate in retirement. Then when you retire, you've saved enough money. The problem happens when you change your risk tolerance level between when you make your projections and when you actually invest it. This is why I believe a risk tolerance profile is so difficult to complete accurately. Because when you're not taking the risk, many times you think you can take risk, and then when it comes right down to it, it's much harder to do than you thought it would be. So be careful. You've got to be internally consistent or you'll spend your retirement money too fast because you're not getting the growth rate you had calculated for.
Now, if that's happening, one option is to defer retirement if you haven't retired yet, if you just get right up to the cliff and you see a problem, or work part-time in retirement to increase your income. But you'll need a strategy of some kind to make sure that your money is sufficient to meet your retirement needs. I don't want you to reach the age of 80 or 85 when it might be hard to work and not have enough money. So be very careful. Work with a certified financial planner. Let them help you figure out what steps to take. Well, I can't believe how fast the show has gone again. Remember that I would love for you to be part of this. So go to askpeggy.com, A-S-K-P-E-G-G-Y.com, and you can submit your question. Additionally, if you're interested in learning a little bit more about me, if you'd like to read my blog, if you'd like to see what brought me into personal finance, that's the opportunity to read about me there and find out why I do this show and why I'm so keen that you prosper. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Ask Peggy segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. Remember, if you want to submit a question to the show, go to askpeggy.com. That's A-S-K-P-E-G-G-Y.com. While you're there, you can see my upcoming appearances, my blog. You can check out my book, learn a little bit more about me and why I do this show every week. So today's question is, Peggy, you mentioned that standard homeowners policies have limits on coverage for items like jewelry. Does that mean our policy might not cover a major jewelry theft? And I'll be honest, I stole this idea today because it's Valentine's Day. So if, in fact, rocks are on the Valentine's agenda this year rather than chocolates, then it really matters how much your homeowner's policy will cover about the diamonds. Having said that, personally, I'd rather have the chocolates, and I suspect that the person you love would rather have the chocolates too. So just bear that in mind. But yes, if you have nice jewelry, if you have expensive items, if you have expensive electronics, if you have a collection of something that is worth significant money. Now, I realize that's a little bit of a cop-out on my part. However, significant money is how your insurance policy views it, not how you or I might view it then you will need to purchase something called a rider for your policy. A rider provides additional and possibly broader coverage over something specific that you own because there are caps on how much a traditional policy will cover. You may have a nice jewelry collection, and you may look at your policy and discover that your jewelry is only covered up to $500. So then you would need to talk to your insurance agent to purchase a rider to cover the additional jewelry. The easiest way to determine what you need to do is 
get a copy of your policy. If you can't find it, and you should be able to find it, but if you can't, contact your agent who can send you a replacement copy of the policy and read the coverage limits. I think for most people, it's not as likely that the jewelry isn't covered as the cash on hand. Insurance policies often provide very little coverage for cash that you have in the home. And I know a lot of people keep quite a bit of cash in their home. So make sure, I mean, really read the policy closely. Think about your life because you don't want to have a theft or a loss or a fire or something horrible and discover that you don't have the level of coverage that you thought you did. Your agent can help you with this. They can go over all of the details. They can help you look at what the policy covers. Maybe look at the general terms of your policy as well. Make sure coverage levels are high enough because if property is appreciated, the actual dwelling coverage might need to be adjusted as well. You want to do this before you have the crisis rather than afterwards. And no, there's not really a chocolate rider that you need to purchase for your insurance policy. Just buy the chocolate and eat it. Have a happy Valentine's Day. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Ask Peggy segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And today's question comes from a listener who says, Peggy, is it okay if I have all my money in a blended mutual fund? And without knowing your risk tolerance, I can't answer that specifically, but I can give you several things you need to think about. The first question is, do you understand what a blended mutual fund means? It means that in the composition of one fund, you own U.S. stocks, you own international stocks, and you own bonds. Now, some blended mutual funds hold the same break as long as you hold the fund. So maybe you've got 50% U.S. stocks and 50% bonds. So that's what the fund always looks like. But if you have a target date fund, that asset allocation changes over time and becomes more conservative the longer you own it. The idea being when you're in retirement, you should be taking less risk. You know, we talked about volatility in the first section, and bonds are typically not quite as volatile as stocks are. And so the older you are, the more your blended target date fund is likely to own bonds to lower the volatility, to lower the risk as defined by standard deviation. So you need to know that. If you don't want that fund to change, then you need to select another fund. So you need to make sure that whatever your asset allocation is, you know what it is and you know how it changes. Additionally, it's important for you to know that different asset classes have different risk characteristics. So if your asset classes are domestic or U.S. stocks, international stocks, and U.S. bonds, those three kinds of investments are going to respond differently to different kinds of risks. 
Now, your international and U.S. stocks will probably act more similar. The bonds, on the other hand, might actually go up while the stocks are going down. So what I hate to hear is when a client comes in and says, well, I was afraid the market was going to go down, so I sold everything. It's like, everything? Yeah, I sold everything. When I look at the portfolio, they owned bonds. Now, I am not going to tell you whether you should own bonds or not on this show. I'm, I'm never going to tell you that on this show. But I am going to tell you that how your stocks are reacting and how your bonds are reacting are not the same way. And if you were going to have a more actively managed strategy, it doesn't make a lot of sense by any textbook definition to sell a fund that sells both your stocks or your bonds. The only way around that is to break the portfolio into pieces. Because if you own a blended fund, your, your options are own it or don't. But if you own stock funds, international stock funds, and bond funds, if you wanted to make an adjustment to your portfolio, you could. If you simply want to buy it, hold it, and forget it, then the blended fund doesn't have that risk to it, assuming you chose the right blend. Unfortunately, people will tend to get cold feet or they decide they want to get active with their money and then suddenly they're making choices they don't know they're making because they don't know what they own. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Ask Peggy segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. Remember, if you want to submit a question, go to askpeggy.com and you can hear your question on the air. Today's question is, Peggy, how do I decide what kind of investments to choose? And if I want to work with someone, how do I know they're giving me good advice? Well, with St. Patrick's Day coming up around the corner, I'd like to breathe a little lightness into this show that's been so heavy and dark this week and say that your very best bet would be to find a leprechaun. However, leprechauns are incredibly rare and they're hard to follow and sometimes they disappear right before you get to the pot of gold. So if that isn't going to work, you need a more traditional approach. Remember, first of all, if you are trying to earn a return on your investment portfolio, you have to take risk. We get rewarded by taking risk. And if someone tells you you're going to earn a high return without taking risk, there is a piece of that investment you're not understanding. So you need to be very careful that you break it apart. Remember, too, that being afraid messes with our minds. We don't make good decisions when we're stressed and we have a tendency to panic. So take your time, think things through, and don't shoot from the hip when you're making investment decisions. We talked a lot about costs earlier in the show, and just be careful before you buy something, you know what it costs to purchase it, and you know what costs you'll pay on an annual basis. Then take some time to really look at your investments. Why do you own something? And I know you're working with a financial professional. They should make the decision. Why should you be bothered with it? Because it's really important that you understand your own money. It will help a good financial professional 
make better decisions for you, and it will help you have a better understanding of whether or not the person you're working with is doing a good job. You know, I tell people that I want to be like the person who changes the oil in your car. I want you to know how to change the oil. I just don't want you to want to do it. So really take the time a little bit every week. You'll be amazed at how quickly you can make things make sense. And then I really think that the designation of the person you're working with matters. I am a big believer in a certified financial planner practitioner designation, but there's other good designations as well. You need to know what the person had to do to earn the designation, how long did they study, are there continuing education hours, and really make sure it wasn't something they earned from 9 till 12 on a Saturday morning. If you do all of those things, you've got a much better chance of being successful. In the meantime, have a great week. See you next time. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. You may submit personal finance questions to the Ask Peggy Facebook page and learn more at PeggyDoviak.com. And remember, prosperity is so much more than money.